Chapter 196 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julie Bynum. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 196. The Scotch Packet Ship. The Suicide. It was in pursuance of this resolution so strangely and suddenly formed that the unhappy Varney rose on the following morning and went to that region of pitch, slop clothing, red herrings, and dirt, the docks. But yet somehow, although the docks may not be the cleanest or them most refined part of the vast city of London, the coarseness and litter there, for after all it is more litter than dirt, are by no means so repulsive as those bad addenda to other localities. There is a kind of rough freshness induced by the proximity of the water which has a physical and moral effect. We are inclined to think upon the place and the people and which takes off much of what would otherwise wear the aspect of what is called low life. But this is all by the way, and we will at once proceed to follow the fortunes of Varney in carrying out his plan of self-annihilation. The hour was an early one, and many a curious glance was cast at him for although he had humanized and modernized his apparel to a great extent he could not get rid of the strange unworldlike if we may use the phrase look of his face he was very pale too and jaded looking for the thoughts that had recently occupied him were not such as to do good to the looks of any one he cared little in what vessel he embarked he had but one object in embarking at all and that was to get out to sea so that the ultimate destination of the ship that should receive so very odd and equivocal a passenger was a matter of no moment. Stopping a personage who had about him a seafaring look, Varney, pointing to a bustling place of embarkation, said, Does any vessel start from here to-day? Yes, there's one going now, or as soon as the tide serves her. She is for Laith. On the coast of Scotland, I think. Yes, to be sure. Varney walked on until he came to a kind of counting-house, where sat a man with books before him, and not to take up more valuable space, he secured what was called a berth on board the ocean, a small, dirty, ill-convenient ship bound for the port near the Scotch metropolis of Edinburgh. Not wishing to be himself much noticed, and having no desire to notice anybody, Varney went down below and seated himself in a dark corner of the generally dingy cabin, and there, amid all the noise, bawling, abuse, and bustle contingent upon getting the ill-conditioned bark under way, he never moved or uttered a word to any one, although the cabin was frequently visited. But Varney had no idea of the amount of annoyance to which he was likely in the course of the evening to be subjected. The vessel got under way, and as both wind and tide happened to be favorable, she dropped down the river rapidly, and soon was clear of the Norlight, and holding on her course northward. The cabin now began to fill with the passengers, and extraordinary as the fact may appear, there were many Scotchmen actually going back again. They were, however, only going to pay visits, for it is one of the popular delusions that Scotchmen try to keep up in this country, that they have left something dear and delightful behind them in Scotland, and that, take it altogether, it is one of the most desirable spots in the whole world. It becomes, therefore, quite necessary for them to go back now and then in order to keep up that delusion. 
Personal vanity, too, is one of the great characteristics of the nation, and many a Scotchman goes back to Edinburgh, for example, to make an appearance among his old friends and family connections, totally incompatible with his real position in London. By about nine o'clock at night, when the shore to the west could only be discovered as a dim grey line on the horizon, the cabin of the ocean packet was crammed. Whisky was produced, and a drink that the Scotch call bottled yell, meaning ale, and as these two heady liquids began to take effect, Old Lang Syne was chanted in the vernacular by the whole party. At length a feeling of annoyance began to grow up from the fact of the isolated aspect of Varney, and the quiet, unobtrusive manner in which he looked on at the proceedings, appearing not in the smallest degree enthusiastic, even when the most uproarious Scotch songs, in the most unintelligible of all jargons, were sung, for strange to say the authors of that nation take a pride in slaughtering the English language. At length a Scotchman approached Varney, and said, "'You'll take a glass of old Reeky, mon?' Edinburgh is called Reeky in consequence of the absence of drainage, giving it a horrible fetid smell, a reeky atmosphere in a manner of speaking, which may be illustrated by the Scotchman who was returning to that place from England on the top of a stage-coach, when within about fifty miles he began sniffing and working his nose in an extraordinary manner. "'What are you doing that for?' said an Englishman. "'Eh, mon, I can smell the good old tone.' "'I do not understand your language,' said Varney, and he walked from the cabin to the deck of the vessel. He recoiled an instant, for the moon was rising. "'Ever thus, even thus,' he said, "'how strange it is that I never dream of ridding myself of the suffering of living, but the moon is shining brightly. Can its rays penetrate the ocean?' The deck was very still, and silent indeed. The man at the helm, and one other pacing to and fro, were all that occupied it, save Varney himself, and he stood by the side, gazing in the direction where he had last seen the dim grey speck of land. "'A pleasant run, sir, we shall have of it,' said the man who had been pacing the deck, if this kindly wind continues. "'It blows from the west.' "'Yes, nearly due west, but that suits us.' We keep her head a few points in shore, and do well with such a wind, although a south-west by south is our choice. How far are we from land? It's the coast of Suffolk that is to our left, but we are, I hope, a good thirty miles or more from it. You hope? Yes, sir. Perhaps you are not sufficient of a sailor to know that we never hug the shore if we can possibly help it. I understand. And there? Oh, there lies the German Ocean. How deep now should you say the sea was here? Can't say, sir, but it's blue water. That was not much information to Varney, but he bowed his head and walked forward, as much as to say that he had had enough of the information and conversation of the man, who was the mate of the vessel, and quite disposed to be communicative. Perhaps in the very dim light he did not see exactly what a strange-looking personage he was talking to. Thirty miles from land, thought Varney, Surely that is far enough, and I need have no dread of floating to the shore through such a mass of water as that thirty miles. The distance is very great. I can to-night in another hour make the attempt. To his great joy some heavy clouds climbed up the sky along with the moon, and congregating round the beautiful satellite effectually obscured the greater number of its beams. There was, in fact, no absolute moonlight, but a soft, reflected kind of twilight coming through the clouds and dispersed far and wide. 
"'This will do,' muttered Varney. "'All I have to fear are the direct moonbeams. "'It is they that have the effect of revivifying such as I am.' The man who had been pacing the deck finally sat down, and appeared to drop off to sleep so that all was still, and as Varney kept to the head of the vessel, the man at the wheel could see nothing of him, there being many intervening obstacles. He was perfectly alone. Now and then, with a loud roaring about, he heard some boisterous drinking chorus come from the cabin, and then a rattle of glasses as fists were thumped upon the tables in token of boisterous approbation, and then all would be still again. Varney looked up to the sky, and his lips moved, but he uttered no sound. He went closer to the vessel's side, and gazed upon the water as it lazily rippled past. How calm and peaceful, he thought, he ought to be far beneath that tide. A sudden plunge into the sea would have made a splash that would have been heard, and that he wished of all things to avoid. He clambered slowly over the side, and only held on by his hands for a moment. Cool night air tossed about his long elfin locks, and in another moment he was gone. End of chapter 196